Snappers, I am so excited to share this piece with you because this week on Snap, we're going to shine a light on one of my favorite podcasts, Ear Hustle. This show, it crafts stories that come from people incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison. And this time, the team brings us a story that is as painful as it is beautiful. And I urge you, put down whatever it is you're doing. Give this a listen. They call this episode The Big No-No. I'm going to stand back and let Team Ear Hustle prove that even if you are confined behind the thick bars of a prison cell, there's one force that can never be contained. Sensitive listeners, please do note, this story deals with explicit content and includes situations of domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Snap judgment. If you fall down and get hurt in the prison, it's not going to be good because then the staff has to do what they call a package, which means some paperwork. We'd have to stay late. I might go to the hospital. They're, you know, It's a lot of paperwork. And they don't like doing packages. If you fall down and you die, that's kind of worse because that's a bigger package. But then again, you're not going to be any more trouble to them after that, right? But the worst thing you can possibly do in prison is fall in love with a prisoner. You are now tuned in to San Quentin's Ear Hustle. I'm Erline Woods. I've been incarcerated for 21 years, and I'm currently housed here at San Quentin State Prison in California. I'm Nigel Poor, a visual artist, now podcaster. I've been working with the guys here at San Quentin for about seven years. And together, we're going to take you inside. We say this a lot, but one of the things that makes San Quentin unusual, not just in California, but throughout the country, is that there's a lot of people coming in and out of the prison every day. Visitors on tours. Oh, so many we tours. We get a lot of them. Oh, my God. We even get sports teams passing through, like the Golden State Warriors. What about those twin tennis players? Yeah, the, 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 the something brothers. The something brothers came in, exactly. <laughs> and there's also the entertainers, oh, like yeah. Lecrae, mm-hmm. J. Cole, Common. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. There's also 3,000 volunteers that uh, come inside this prison on a regular basis. It's amazing. I've heard that number many times. And, you know, E, I've noticed that a vast majority of those volunteers are women. I've noticed that, too. Really? That's, and that's why do you attention? suppose that, Nige? <laughs> well, I wish I had an answer, and I've thought about it a lot. I think it's partially because women are more sympathetic in general. But really, I don't know. Well, whatever the case, these volunteers are a big part of the life for the men in blue. Mm-hmm. They get great teachers. Oh, yeah, counselors. Mentors. And, you know, just a regular everyday interaction with people from the outside world. In most prisons, you just don't get that. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be an advantage that San Quentin is so close to the Bay Area. Right. Where really a number of the volunteers come from. But. 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 All of those volunteers in here can make prison officials, mm, a little bit nervous? Yes. There's this thing called over-familiarity. Wait, that word is so hard to say. <laughs> over-familiarity? Yes, pretty much. We're a world with that. <laughs> That's a word we hear a lot in San Quentin. Mm-hmm. Volunteers are not supposed to get too close to guys inside. We may be lovable, Nige, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely verboten to fall in love with us. And by falling in love, I mean maternal love, sisterly love, romantic love, friendly love, 
any kind of relationship where you want to start telling that person about your personal life, getting advice, hearing about his personal life, that is when you cross the line into overfamiliarity. Allison West, she runs a reentry program here at San Quentin. And one of the things she does as part of that is train and supervise volunteers who help guys get ready for the outside world. Yes, Allison. She's a very important person here, and she has strong feelings about volunteers getting overfamiliar with guys in blue. That is when the institution thinks that you're going to start smuggling in things that you shouldn't be bringing in, such as letters, drugs, pornography, and the list goes on and on. So, overfamiliarity, a big no-no. But E, it still happens. Yes, it does. So I was in, I was in another group, and yeah, I mean, it was weird. So she sat next to me, uh, you know, it was the only open chair in the room, and she sat next to me, and I turned to her, and I said, hey, my name's Aaron. it's nice to meet you, you know, what are you doing here? Aaron's serving 25 years to life for murder. He'd already been in prison about 15 years when he came to San Quentin. I mean, before I came to San Quentin, I never saw one volunteer, ever. Like, I didn't even know that was such a thing, right? Aaron didn't want to talk about what kind of group he was attending, Mm -hmm. but he did want to tell us about meeting Lisa. He sure did. She introduced herself, explained why she had started to uh, volunteer here at San Quentin, and... Lisa's not her real name. We're calling her that because Aaron wanted to protect her identity. And I went back to the cell that night, and I didn't... I didn't really think about it. And then I found myself a couple days later thinking, oh, wow, I wonder if she's going to be here next week. So I went next week, and sure enough, there she was. Even though I don't like to generalize about any particular population, I have to generalize that a population in prison is a deprived population. And one of the things that they're deprived of in a very long list of deprivations is female company. And so they're vulnerable, and you have to be strong for all of you. And you have to rise above it and hold them and yourself to a very high standard. That's part of my training. It's nice to talk to a woman, period. I mean, it was a regular volunteer situation where she was just doing her thing. Yes, at first. That was Uh, a long... Interesting. Yes, Yes, at first it, it was. I mean, you know, she... She's, she's a very attractive woman. Uh, one of the problems. The with first the blush of overfamiliarity. Mm-hmm. When we were talking, I could see it on his face. So this is precisely the situation that prison officials get worried about. People start chatting, they get real comfortable, and all of a sudden, certain feelings start to develop. And Aaron knew that could cause trouble. Yeah, I mean, she talked to everybody there, right? And then there came a time where. It was more me than it was other people. Then it was almost exclusively her and I talking during breaks and, and after class. And I think that was about the time I, I, you know, I thought to myself, what's not to like, right? I'm good looking, I'm smart, right? Like I'm outgoing, uh, you know, of course, why wouldn't she like me? And I thought, oh, shit, like, this is, this is my ego taking over. I should, you know, I should, like, really slow down and, and be cool. 
I've gotten into so many things in my life uh, for the wrong reason, right? And I didn't want to get into another thing for the wrong reason. And because I've been doing so much work on myself at that time, I realized, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not ready, and let's just go ahead and slow down and, and step back for a minute. And that was the time I decided to leave the group. Lisa noticed. A few weeks later, a guy came over to Aaron and said, Hey, I have a message for you. Where have you been? And I was like, okay, thanks for the message. Well, who was the message from? The message was from her. In my head, I was like, fuck yeah. And then at the same time, I'm like, okay, hold on. Those are all the feelings anybody has when they're falling in love with somebody or they're interested, right? It's this elation. Right. Like, yes. So, kind of so which I was sort of questioning, right? Mm-hmm. Because at that time I'd been in prison for, for a while, right? A decade and a half at that time. And, you know, this is my first level two. So all the level fours and the level three, I'd done time in ADSEG and, and shoe time. And, and like, I was really unsure if that was the proper response. So by leaving the group, Aaron basically cut off all communications with Lisa. So I just want to clarify. So for two or three months, you didn't have any contact with her? Yes. You just were percolating, like, what should I do? Wow. Playing hard to get. Yeah. No. No, I certainly wasn't playing hard to get. (laughs) Certainly that wasn't the case. I mean, I would have loved to just been like, yes, I'm never leaving this group ever again. But, you know. Then Aaron got a second message from Lisa. And I decided to go back the following week. She was like talking, you know, she was talking to people over there when I came in. And uh, I was like, I was, I remember I was biting like the inside of my lip, not really hard to like believe, but just biting it enough to keep myself from smiling, right? Because I remember being so happy to see her. Like I was really looking forward to it, right? And I was biting my lip because I didn't want to walk in with this really stupid, shitty smile on my face. Uh, So we started talking, and, you know, then the group starts, and then we're talking more on the break, and and it just... It's so weird. Like, I've never... That was, like, the first time in my life that I had, like, just regular, real, like, natural conversation with someone. Aaron was back in the group, but his delight at being near Lisa again was mixed. That was the first time in my life term that I thought, fuck, like feeling really shitty about not being able to walk out the gate. Like I never wanted to be out of prison more than I did at that moment. So it sounded like it woke up an emotional side in you. Yeah, absolutely. But it also seems like maybe you felt really seen as, a, as like a human being. Absolutely. You, you know, it, it's, I, I came to prison, like I, I was so scared and I was so angry and so depressed. And I thought to myself, okay, uh, a murderer, that's what they want. That's what they're going to get. So for all of that to go away, like, uh, was, I mean, fantastic and horrible all at the same time.
the other thing that you have to think about when you're volunteering and if somebody asks you to break a rule, oh, tell me about your sex life or where you work or whether you're married, etc., is that once you cross that line, if you're caught, the worst thing that could happen to you would be a criminal prosecution, which rarely happens. They'll probably just ban you from the prison for life, and you'll get on with your life. You can go volunteer for the SPCA or for, you know, the regional parks. You can do whatever you want. Your life is not severely affected. But that person that you've broken those rules with will have their freedom at San Quentin taken away. They'll be put in solitary confinement where they get no yard, few showers, no visits from family, no contact. They get uh, their good time credit taken back so they get out of prison later, and they could get transferred out of the institution. So you may think it's fun or exciting to break those rules, but you're putting that person at grave risk. Uh, one of us said, like, I can't wait to see you next week. And that was like the last sort of word before she had to walk out the gate and I had to walk the opposite direction. So I went back next week. But it, I mean, that's a dangerous thing to say to somebody in prison. Yeah. What? I can't wait to see you next week. Yeah, because I, I mean, if someone hears it and they take it the wrong way, it's all bad. Right, but I, I think for for her and I, it meant it meant more. I know it did for me. And you know, we were still going to the same group every week and talking more and talking more and talking more. You couldn't keep going on like that. No, definitely not. And I told her, I said, "Look, I'm going to stop coming to this to this class." And she did not like that at all. And I explained, I said, look, I, I mean, other people are noticing that you and I are spending much more time together. I don't know if outside volunteers are noticing, but everybody that's wearing blue is seeing what's happening. And she's like, yeah, I've noticed it too, but so what? And I explained to her, I said, so what is I get in trouble and you don't ever come back in. And that's not bad for you, but it's really, really bad for me. So she wasn't happy about it. I wasn't happy about it. And she said, uh, well, what else can we do? There absolutely is a right way. And this is what I tell the girls. I, I, I I don't want to say that they're not um, homosexual relationships or homosexual attractions, but that has actually never been a problem so far in my program, but it could happen. So I tell the men too, but I focus on the women. And I say, if you fall in love, whatever kind of love that is, a platonic, romantic, whatever, but most commonly romantic love. I said, all you have to do once you realize you want to cross that line is quit the program. Take a month off, get on his visiting list, and go have a great relationship. There's so many men in this institution, probably every man, if I were to generalize because of my 18 years here, I've never met one that wasn't worthy of our love.
And so if you fall in love, you go fall in love. I will dance at your wedding. I will give you away. If you quit the program and protect the program and protect yourself and protect him, you go live happily ever after, and I will give you every blessing. So that's the right way. Because people are people, and you put people together, there are going to be some attractions that happen sometimes. And if you want to act on it, then you just have to do it appropriately. Aaron and Lisa decided to do it appropriately. They said their goodbyes without knowing when or how they would see each other again. I didn't sleep that entire night. And I don't, (laughs) I didn't even know her last name. Like we, I mean, she knew my last name. I know it sounds weird, but volunteers and men inside aren't allowed to exchange personal information. So it's not surprising that he never learned her last name. And Aaron went back to the group. Lisa didn't. Getting back in contact was on her. Yep, he was just going to have to wait. I was sitting in the cell, and the guard comes by with some mail, and I don't know if I was expecting mail from anybody at that point. I grabbed it not thinking anything. And I, uh, I looked at the name, and I was like, who the fuck is this? Right? And I don't know, I don't recognize even the first name. So I open it up. Right. And like there's like this really nice handwriting and a, and immediately I knew that it was a woman's writing. The letter was from Lisa, but for some reason she didn't use her real name. <laughs> she, she like put a little heart over the I in her name. Right. Which is like super junior high, like high school stuff that girls do, you know. But, you know, I felt I felt fantastic. Aaron wrote her right back, and they started exchanging letters. And then he asked her. Like, hey, is it possible for me to call you? He got a letter back with Lisa's number. But E, it's not just as easy as picking up a phone and calling. No, so you have to sign up for a phone slot. And the phone slots are only like 15 minutes long. And you got to figure out like what time of day you're going to call. Right. So those are like the pay phones that you see. Those are the pay phones and they have a certain service you got to call and you call collect and the people got to accept it. Right. And I thought the person on the other side has to sign up for some kind of They have to set up for this GTL membership. So it's, it's a trip. It's a lot. It's definitely complicated, but they made it work. I mean, with the exception of having to hang up every 15 minutes and call back, I mean, they were phenomenal. I mean, it was really natural, just like before, like talking face to face, right? So then after a few months, uh, I said, hey, what do you think about coming to visit me? Uh, Because fuck this, right? Like, uh, no. I am not satisfied with this. I need more. I want more. Um, She was ready, right? She said, absolutely. How do we do this? I sent her a form. She filled out the form. It got approved. And she started coming to visit me. So, E, they did everything by the books. 
Lisa quit volunteering. She waited before she started to visit. But the visiting room at San Quentin is probably not the ideal place to develop a romantic relationship. Um, I don't know. I mean, for some, maybe it is. Really? Have you developed a romantic but, relationship But I'm just there? saying, you get to go out there, and when you first see your visitor, you can hug her, you can put tongue down her throat, you can kiss oh, her. That's so romantic. <laughs> you can you can fill her up. You can do all that. What do you mean? You're saying your hands are just free roaming? Free roaming like an old school cell phone. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, you can do that in the beginning of the visit. Okay. But during the visit, it's just a conversation. And maybe that might not be ideal for people mm-hmm. because you can't do what you want to do. Right. I mean, there's not much privacy. There's no privacy at all. Everything is in the open. Yeah. And then at the end of the visit, you get to hug, kiss, and say goodbye. So, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is, under the circumstances, it's the best place you're going to be able, or it's the only place you're going to be able to have some physical contact. Legitimately. Legitimately. Okay. All right. Well, in any case, for Aaron, or really for both of them, it was their only option to meet in person. It felt normal and natural to be with her, but at the same time, That visiting room, I don't give a shit what anybody says. I don't care if people have been visiting out there for 30 fucking years. That is a completely unrealistic, false, inauthentic environment, period. I loved being with her and hated, hated that visiting room. And then, so what happened? How did the relationship progress? I don't know who said it first. One of us was like... You know, and I can't remember the exact context, but I would love to take you to this place in the outdoors. It's so beautiful and majestic and peaceful. And, you know, I can't wait to go camping with you. I can't take, wait to take you to this restaurant. And, and then that sort of inevitably just led to us thinking about a future together. Uh, and then we started talking about marriage. And, uh, I mean, I told myself a long time ago that... First of all, I would never get married. But when her and I talked about it, I thought, I can totally do this. I want to do this. That's when we decided to take it to the next level. A year after that first visit, Aaron and Lisa got married. We asked him what the wedding was like. I mean, fuck, it was a prison wedding. Um... She looked beautiful. She came in in the most amazing dress I'd ever seen. I mean, you know, I had visiting clothes at that time. Like, really, the nicest pair of clown pants a man could have. You know, with prisoner painted down the front. (laughs) I didn't doubt that that was what I wanted and what she wanted. And I never doubted at that time that that's what we should do. We've talked about this before on Ear Hustle. Some guys, if they're married and they stay disciplinary free, they get to have family visits. And there's a cottage on site where they can be alone with their family for 48 hours. But guys like Aaron with life sentences at that time weren't allowed family visits. So basically, letters, phone calls, and the visiting room was all they had. And we argued. And we made up. And things were great. And we argued and we made up. But 
there was still some part of me while still loving her more than anything that was holding back. I kept telling myself there's only so much I can give from, from here and still understanding that kept going. You know, I, I used to tell her, guess what happens when you break down on the freeway who you don't call me, right? You hear a weird creaking noise downstairs in the middle of the night. Guess who doesn't get the bat to go downstairs to confront the stranger? Me, right? Like, I can't be there for you. If she's feeling vulnerable emotionally, I think as human beings, it's a natural tendency to like pull somebody into your arms, right? And embrace them and like touch them in a non-sexual way, but a way to tell them like things are going to be okay. You can't do that out there. And that from either side, that was definitely the most difficult part, I think, for both of us. It ended slowly. I mean, on some level, I saw it coming, even when she didn't. I tried to stop it because I really didn't want it to end. This is a shitty life for anybody, and this relationship has been like amazing and, and magical and, and loving and compassionate and tragic and sad and disappointing and hurtful and, and everything else. So how, how did it end? Uh, I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, it... <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I mean, I'm no longer wearing a ring. Our divorce has been final for almost two years. Uh, I go to my <laughs> board of parole hearing in two months, 60 days from today. And I don't know what the future holds for that relationship. You know, we still talk on a regular basis, and it's amicable? <laughs> With a question mark? I mean, I'm just shooting in the dark. You know. <laughs> Is anything on your chain? What do you mean? Is any emblems on your chain? <laughs> any medallions? <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, how did you know? I'm just, gu- oh, I'm just shooting in the dark because he, he just hit his Holy chest and I heard something. Shit. So, yes, I have my wedding ring around a, on a chain around my neck. Erlon, it takes us a while to put a story together for the podcast. All right. Sometimes a couple months. And we recorded Aaron about two months ago. So, yeah, things have changed. Aaron went to the board and was found suitable for parole, which means he's probably going to get out within 150 days. But there's more to it. Just as we were finishing this story, we learned something about Aaron. And we decided we couldn't run this story unless we talked to him again. We'll be back with that conversation after the break. 
You're listening to Snap Judgment Presents Ear Hustle, the big no-no. Our program continues in just a moment. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment Presents Ear Hustle, the big no-no. Stories from people incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison. Now, earlier in the show, we heard from a prisoner, Aaron, who told us about a romantic relationship he had developed with a volunteer from inside the prison. Producers Erlon Woods and Nigel Poor are sitting down with Aaron to have one last very important conversation. Listener discretion is advised. I really appreciate you doing the story, and you speak so beautifully. And but there's something I have to talk to you about. Okay. And it's going to be a little bit hard. Okay. So I'm just going to be very blunt with you. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So we do stories about life inside prison. We we don't really do stories about people's crimes at all. And so I found out what you're in prison for. I was hoping I could talk to you a little bit about it. Um. <laughs> How do we tell stories and leave out that that part? Yeah. Uh I don't I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't know. I mean I try to be like open and honest about my past and uh the the things that I've done including what I've done to get to prison. I don't know. I think the scope of the the number of people that that could possibly listen to this, I'm just really nervous about about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. While you're thinking, can I tell you some of the things that are just going through my mind about Abs- it, and it might help you? Absolutely. So one of the things is that I really believe that people change. Like I take you as the man you are in front of me. And I listened very carefully to how you talked about your relationship and how much you thought about it and how painful and joyous the whole experience was for you. And so when people listen to the story, that's what I want them to take away, that here's this person who's in a difficult situation. They they eventually met this person. They fell in love just like anyone else would. It didn't work out, unfortunately. You end thinking, like, here's this guy who's very self-actualized. And then what worries me is, like, so people will leave with this very, like, mm, I, I love this guy. Skewed view I of things. This, yeah. Not skewed, not skewed. But then someone will research you and be like, did they just feed me a bunch of bullshit? But if we could just talk about it and come to some understanding about what's our responsibility, what's your responsibility. So um, I'm, trying to, like, I'm trying to partner with you here. How do, how do we present this? Ah, oh, Fuck. You guys are killing me. <laughs> uh, um, here you guys are, uh, poking, <laughs> poking and prodding. Well, let me ask you um, this: Do you feel like we're being unfair? Trying to make you do this? No, I don't feel you're being unfair at all, and I don't ultimately know what my hesitancy is. Um, so, on December seventh, nineteen ninety-four. I murdered my ex-girlfriend, the mother of my now 25-year-old daughter. 
So how, like, when I see you and I talk to you, like, it's so hard for me to imagine. Yeah. Uh, um, not for me. I'm not, I'm not that same person. It's, and it's sort of, like, I know what I did. I know how I felt back then, and, and I know what it's taken to get to where I am now. Um, hearing, hearing you say that, right, like, you, you don't know what it's been like, and, and me sitting here today is a different person, and you didn't know that person back then. Uh, that's one of the reasons, I think, why, with the exception of today, for some reason, I've never, once I started, once I figured out that I didn't want to be that person anymore, uh, that was the moment I decided to be honest with myself and other people about all the things I've did, I've done, in, including, including killing my ex-girlfriend. Uh, so, when you met the your wife, did you have to talk with her about why are you? Did she like? How does that conversation happen? Yeah. Uh, so she was. Yes, we did talk about it. And she knows everything. Uh, she knows all the details, and we talked about it at length. And uh, and yeah, like she needed to process a lot of stuff around that, right? And she had a lot of questions. Um, and it wasn't a pleasant conversation. I didn't expect it to be. So yeah. And do you think she was ever afraid of you? No. No. Now, you spoke about your daughter. Where, where, where are y'all at today? How's, how is that today? Is it better? Do y'all have a relationship at all? Um, yeah, we have, we have a good relationship. She's, she's amazing. Uh, uh, somehow she has found it in her heart to forgive me and, uh, I don't feel I deserve it, and I don't feel worthy. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to actually being a father for her, if only late, and hopefully repair uh, some of the damage that I've done to her life, at least some. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron, for telling us your story, and especially for coming back that second time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for that. And thanks to Allison West for talking to us about how she trains volunteers to deal with that tricky issue of falling in love in prison. Ear Hustle is produced by myself, Erline Woods. And me, Nigel Poor, with help from outside producer Pat Masidi Miller, who also comes in to work with our sound design team. This episode includes music from Antoine Williams, David Jossie, E. Phil Phillips, Lee Jaspar, and Greg Sayers. Curtis Fox is our story editor, Aaron Wade's our digital producer, and Julie Shapiro is our executive producer for Radiotopia. 
We want to thank Warden Ron Davis. And as you know, every episode has to be approved by this guy here. This is Lieutenant Sam Robinson at San Quentin State Prison. And man, you know, when I first heard about this episode and got a chance to listen to it, I anticipated something completely different. Um, I didn't realize it would be as weighty and as heavy as it ultimately was. And so, as I always do, I approve this episode. Big, big love to Erlon Woods, Nigel Poor, and the entire Ear Hustle crew. And a special thanks to Aaron and all the men who have shared their stories with Ear Hustle. Appreciation to Public Information Officer Lieutenant Sam Robinson and San Quentin's Warden Ron Davis. This doesn't happen unless they let it happen. And they let it happen. Thank you. That piece comes to us by way of the amazing podcast Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia was made possible by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. The snappers. I've waited. I've held it in, but I've got amazing news. You know how we're huge fans of the Ear Hustle squad. At this point, it's, it's personal. They've repeatedly welcomed us behind the barbs of San Quentin with open arms. So, I am so delighted to tell you that after 21 years of incarceration, California's governor, Jerry Brown, commuted Erlon Wood's sentence and he has been released from prison. You heard that right. Erlon is out. We just had lunch. We had steak on the outside. Free at last. Free at last. So we're for real celebrating over here at Snap, and you can too. Just head over to EarHustleSQ.com to hear more about the news and audio documenting this big event about the release of Erlon. Download all the amazing Ear Hustle episodes. They are going to change the world. We're going to have links in everything Ear Hustle on our website, snapjudgment.org. It's that time. The story is never over. If you missed even a moment, hear me when I say we've got more amazing stories waiting for you right now on the amazing Snap Judgment podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcast, snapjudgment.org. Snap was brought to you by the team that always makes a way out of no way. Give it up for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Pat, two jobs in the CD Miller, and assessment. Renzo Gorio, Leon Morimoto, Eliza Smith versus Nancy Lopez, Taylor Cott, Liz Mack, Adiza Egan, Jasmine Aguilera on the ones and twos. And even though this is not the news, no way is this the news. In fact, you could bust out your new dance move at the club only to discover that it's so last week, man. People don't hop up and down anymore. You're supposed to move to the side, to the side, you see. And even then, you still wouldn't be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC. Yo.